War, yep. what is it good for? Actually quite a lot. Actually it's <laughs> Of course I know that, I'm an academic, it I know is, all these I know, things. I know. It would have been hilarious if you'd died, if you'd gone out like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> Moving cryo into into pack A is what the cryostat trial is. So so that that's that's basically what it's, it's like uh, giving it giving cryo up. precipitate stat stat. That's just it. got it. I just got it. <laughs> Episode three. Pete, did you have a good Christmas? I had a lovely Christmas actually. It was one of those Christmases where. There weren't any visitors. For yeah. once, you didn't have to like, like, make sure the toilets were spick and span, yeah. and you didn't have to like keep f f filling up the dishwasher so that everyone, there were cups of tea ready for everyone to, to drink out of. It was so lovely. Just, it was just everyone chilling out in the house. Kids going bonkers. They're at quite a good age. They're like six and nine, so they're quite yeah. good for that sort of stuff now. Not, not loaf. Turkey. Yeah, nut roast. Nut, nut roast. roast. No, no, we're, ve we're veggies in our house. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's nut roast and cauliflower cheese and all of that. It was lovely. It's not vegan, but it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, veggie. I had nut roast at the orthopedic Christmas party and it was true. Was it a massive letdown? Yeah. A, a stodgy nut roast is pretty grisly, actually, yeah. when it's all like, ugh. It, com <laughs> it comes out as it goes in. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just a loaf. Um, what's your favourite Christmas yeah. present? Favourite Christmas present? Actually, you know, I got some really cool socks that, that fit really nicely. I that got socks do. I got my Apple Watch. That was that. Oh, awesome. I got, I got an Apple Watch, so I'm yeah. pleased with that. So but now, you turned up 20 minutes late for today. I turned up 20 minutes for today. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to them. Um, so, but it's a good stuff. Yeah, some good stuff. So I got a Liverpool football top, Great. which I'm delighted Great. with. I got a Ferrero Rocher, which is the size of a football, um, and I got these Bose wireless sports headphones. So what's a sports headphone as opposed to a normal as headphone? As in just a thing that goes in and doesn't come out. They're waterproof as well. And it goes in and doesn't come out? As in is they don't then fall out your ears. They don't oh. fall out when, when one is... Oh, those are like those earbud jobs. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they jam in. They there. jam in and they're waterproof. Do they get a bit sore after a while? Do they get a bit like... I don't know. I haven't, I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they look amazing. It's too good to open. They look great in the packet. So they go amazing well. I've got my three gym memberships that I, that I never get to use. <laughs> I've actually got three. Luckily, the wife's not listening to this, so she'll never know. But uh, yeah, I spent 140 quid a month just making sure I could go and exercise any time, Any, anywhere, anywhere yeah. I like. <laughs> but I actually, I literally didn't ever get a chance. Yeah. But the thing is, you don't get a body like this overnight. No, no, no. You're ripped, mate. You're Takes years of neglect. Ripped. Years of neglect. Do you know where I was yesterday? Tell me. I was in Birmingham. Okay. Birmingham's quite, they've, they've upgraded Birmingham quite a bit, haven't they? It's, so quite, it's quite nice around the centre now. I came at the train station. It looked like, yeah. it looked really fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't no, what I was used no, to no, last time. No, no, New Street's all been done up, you've got the bull ring, and then and then you've got the city centre, which has been which has yeah. been revamped as well, yeah. Do you want to know what I was doing there? Go on, tell me. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Because you'll just take the piss like you normally go do. On, go on. Me. You were like you were like head of this or like leading that. Yeah, go on. Don't yeah, tell us. Yeah. Tell us. What, what were you doing? So no, it was the inaugural meeting of the British Patellofemoral Society. <laughs> Why does that make you laugh? No this is way. important to me. Yeah, okay. No, this no, no very important. You do is to me. No, very important joint. One day you're going to push your brother too far. 
I think the patellofemoral joint is one of those things, like anterior knee pain is a bit, is one of those kind of orthopedic sort of like, like dead zones where yeah. everyone's in denial about it. I'm amazed that you've made the society because basically, I your, didn't make your, it. No, no, your, I was a delegate. Your, your job is going to, the job of that society is now going to have to be come up with like solutions to anterior knee pain, which nobody seems to have. Yeah, it's going to be anyway. challenging. It'd be easier to just cure cancer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I was going to mention to you was I met okay. Nigel Rossiter. Nigel Rossiter. A lovely chap, a real hero of trauma education. Yeah. But so Nigel Rossiter is a guy who works down in Basingstoke. He's a trauma guy, orthopedic surgeon, and he's been massive in AO, and he's a big, big cheese in the British trauma uh, setup, and has been for, for donkey's years. And I you know it's good to catch up with him, and I was tempted to give him a dead arm for, for uh, saving your life. Oh, yes. <laughs> is that actually a true story? He didn't save my life. It was right. it was the guy next to me. Right. Well, it was almost Lisa Hadfield Law who saved my life. What happened? I'm still not clear on this story. Okay. I will try and keep this short. Yeah. We're at an AO meeting, and AO. I'll be. I'll come clear. I, I'm like, I love. I love AO. I love all they do. But they have been cutting down on their budgets recently. And so when they take you out for dinner, it's to like some sort of low end, like like grade C bistro now, rather yeah. than like the high end. You know, like yeah. so, oh, what would uh, like? How would you like your steak? Yeah. The steak comes as it comes, and it's always chewy. So <laughs> so we get served up this like sugar sort as as the steak. And I'm sitting next to Lisa, and we're having a nice chat. She's eating her fish, and I've got my steak. So I eat the steak. And we've all been in this place. All, all carnivores who've eaten slightly gristly meat in the past have had this yeah. moment where you're eating something, and you're chewing through it through this mouthful, and you just get fed up with chewing it. It's just making no progress whatsoever. You're chewing and chewing, and you get bored of it. You think, sod it, I'm just going to swallow it. I know it's a bit too yeah. much to swallow, but I'm just going to swallow it because I'm fed up with chewing it. It's making no progress. Yeah. So I did that. And then suddenly there was this moment. It was like it was like a thump hit the back of my throat. It was like bang, and it wasn't going anywhere. It was like it was lodged right there. I couldn't breathe. Couldn't do anything. Did you think you might be dying? Not in that moment. I thought. Okay. I thought. Hold your nerve. Yeah. <laughs> Don't panic. Hold yeah. your nerve. Get, Don't panic, Captain. Mary. Get some. Get a glass. Get your glass of water yeah. and just swallow it down. Yeah. It'll all go down, yeah. and we won't make that mistake again. I had some water, and I basically I couldn't I couldn't swallow the water. The water would not go. It wouldn't go. Right. So I spat the water back out of my drink. And Lisa made some sarcastic comment. Oh, that's nice, Pete. Lovely. Oh, look, that's really. She didn't realise what was going on at this point. She's a lady. She's a lady. Yeah. So at this point, I stand up and I and I look at Lisa and I said. I gave that, you know that sign when you're, when you're drowning, that one where you're, you know, of, of like, please stop, yeah, <laughs> yeah, where you wave your hand like a shark fin in front of your throat, yeah, yeah. I was doing that, she got it pretty much straight away, yeah. so, so I said, and I gave, I gave the, the, the sign for a Valsalva manoeuvre, and she, um, she got it immediately, so she, but Lisa's not, you know, she's not a brick shit house, let's say. So I turn around, turn my back on her, and she grabs me and she tries to have a go, but she didn't really have the oomph. So, yeah. I, so I, it's quite a long way to get around. No, it's, it's, yeah, no, I've got, I've got big, big moves and stuff. Yeah. Barrel shaped, is what I was going to say. Barrel shaped. Yeah. So she, I, I think it was an unfair contest. Right. So, so I move on round to the course convener who's sitting next to Lisa. So uh, I go around. <laughs> I, so I can't whilst I'm sort of dying, but it's, it's becoming a, 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 the whole world. The whole table is now absolutely silent and locked on. There's like 30 people watching what goes on here. The course convener, who's like this sort of big burly Irish uh, orthopod, his name I, for I forget, and he he basically just was not going to let this not let his force not be sufficient. If you yeah. know I mean. So he absolutely gave it. Crack a few ribs. Exactly. He was happy to give the yeah. ribs a go. So he gave it some. 
and uh, and it literally this piece of meat came flying out, and I kid you not, it landed right in the middle of Lisa's fish. <laughs> It was amazing. It was amazing. It was like it was like it was like it's just like it's like a cure. It was like so and I, I, literally within a minute. Then I'm feeling hungry again. I'm wanting to finish off the rest of my and steak. Yeah, the rest of the and steak. I had to gobble up the rest of the steak. <laughs> and you know, Lisa gave her fish away. She wasn't. She suddenly wasn't very hungry. Um, uh, and that's that's the story. Yeah, but but I, I definitely would have died if I'd been on my defo for sure. It's quite interesting because um, it would have been hilarious if you'd died. If you'd gone out like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> We could have named a ward after you, you know. Three D could have yeah. been like the Pete Bates Memorial Unit, just full of sluices, you know. And the, so this so Irish chap was the one that saved you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, people thought it was an ethical question about if you went back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? Yeah. This chap basically. No, no, he will. He will look back to that moment. So yeah. yeah, I could. I had a choice there. <laughs> I, had a choice. I had a choice there. In his instance, yeah, I could have done it really badly, like, yeah. uh, or, or fallen over. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And now I'm left having to deal with a man child. <laughs> Having to send eight text messages to remind you about one tutorial, but um, is it is it fair to say that's not the first time you choked on some meat? <laughs> Before we go on to pelvis, let's talk about resuscitation. Yeah. So things have changed quite a lot since we were trainees. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, you trained um, previous decade, previous millennium to me actually. So, but things have changed. But there was a time when my job as the orthopedic surgeon at Trauma Call was to basically go and spring the pelvis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> spring the pelvis. Yeah. And did you know what you were doing when you sprung that pelvis? Not at all. So I'd, I'd kind of put my hands on the pelvis on either yeah. side, yeah. and I'd kind of push down with a yeah. bit of force. That's right, you'd give and, it a wiggle. And I'd give it a wiggle, and generally what would happen is the whole patient's body would get pushed down into the mattress, <laughs> and the mattress would spring back up. I'd be like, seems all right. And then and they'd always make you then, then you'd have to run your finger down the spine and do a PR. Yeah, that was that was that was about it. Chuck up a bit of crystal oil, go get a coffee. Right, right. Yeah, and if they're alive when you come back, then you're onto a winner. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's it's astonishing how how resuscitation resuscitation done well. I'm sure you know there are places where it still doesn't necessarily happen well, but place resuscitation done well is 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 streaks ahead of where it used to be when you and I were trainees. And I know you're very very much younger than I yeah. am, but but but, but I, I think we both witnessed how resuscitation used to be done, which was very often, even in great places, was often, depending on who, who was on, it was often a bit of a shit show, wasn't it? And then the thing that came in after that as the, the new thing, the cutting edge thing for me, later in my training, was angio. Yes. Embolization. Embolization, yeah. And except, I remember seeing a, some horrible cases of people who basically lost their buttocks. Well, that's right. I think angio, when it first came out, was done in the sort of in extremist situation. Yeah. And it was very often non-selective because, yeah. in other words, you're just doing the whole of the internal iliac, yeah. on, often on both sides because you weren't sure which side was bleeding from. So you just have to hell with it. We're trying to save their life, right? So yeah. let's just do Scorched both sides. Death. Yeah, scorched, so, <laughs> madam, scorched pelvis policy. Yeah. Madam, the good news is you're alive. Yeah. The bad news is you have no ass cheeks. You've got no ass cheeks, yeah. And yeah. I've saw some pretty terrible stuff. Yeah. So what's changed? Is it really that it's, different it, now? Is it, it's, it's massive. It's, it's clearly different now. I guess what what is the fundamental change? I I I, I, I do ponder on this. I would say it's protocolization. I think the thing that has changed protocols. is yeah. protocol. Is protocolization a word? No, no, absolute word. But um, is, is protocols. But in case someone whose English is not their first language, when I say when I say protocols, the whole process of 
of um, resuscitation has been broken up. It's been broken up into little stages and science has been applied to each of those stages. So now, rather than patient turns up and depending on who's on call, we have a go at resuscitating them by throwing uh, saline at them, we now uh, have pon like gone away, had to think about each little bit and then strung them all together so that when the patient comes in, we've got a plan and we run through that plan. And I know that sounds like a really obvious thing, but that was, it used to not be the case. The variability in my training was massive. And I think it's the, the thing that's changed, that you, as you say, is that it's pretty much the same everywhere now. Yeah. Um, obviously, major trauma centers ha have more experience of major trauma. But fact is, when I was training, uh, you'd see a huge, you know, sometimes I would be, as an orthopedic registrar, as a, as a year one registrar in a DGH, I would be leading the trauma call. Yeah, that's it. And I, I remember very clearly, uh, you know, some things stick in your mind and other things just fall straight out immediately. Yeah. But there are some moments which stick in your head. And one of them for me was uh, a very senior consultant, like standing in recess, uh, just before a patient's about to come in for a trauma call, looking very confident and slick and saying, uh, talking about, uh, how, about protocols and how things should not be protocolized because doctors are not automatons. We can think for ourselves. We yeah. need to be able to like, make our own decisions and be autonomous. And actually, that's total nonsense, isn't it? And then, and then of course, that led into a trauma call, which was a massive shit show, mm -hmm. and as, as, as they often were. Um, and I, I sat back and thought, yeah, I'd, I would love it if there was some kind of like written protocol which I knew what I had to do. Rather than turning up and having a go. And most importantly, that everyone knew what to do. Everyone knew what to do. Um, because uh, some people were excellent. Some, pe some people would run a, a trauma call really nicely and everyone knew what they were doing and it was very well run because leadership was shown. But when uh, we've all seen those uh, times when um, you have a forceful personality yeah. who kind of like completely dominates a situation purely by force of personality yeah. and, and they overall lots of otherwise good decisions uh, with bad decisions because because they are in the person in charge. So there was, I remember a time when I was in an ANESHO, I won't say where, um, and there was a very senior consultant, the head of the department, yeah. coming up to retirement and basically a young patient came in who was basically peri-arrest and actually we started, we started doing a CPR. And then he wanted he wanted to put in the central line. So we do this, and the kept, and he's trying to put a central line in, and which and he said, look, just stop compressions. You're moving the patient around and put the central line in. And so he's trying to get the central <laughs> line in. And I'm like, stop the compressions. And we kind of like, and he was like, get me the Britillium, and uh, so yeah. got got the central line. <laughs> yeah, victory. Yeah, victory. Unfortunately, patient. Yeah. Patient, uh, not so not yeah, so. And the thing about a protocol is you can change it. You can change it and change it again and change it again. And you make tiny changes to it and it evolves over time. So the protocol you had two years ago isn't the protocol you have now. And when new science comes in, when new like innovation comes in, you then shove that into your protocol because you now know that this works and that doesn't, so you change it. And that's its institutional memory. It is when someone new comes in and they're on call, they just walk in, all they've got to do is read through the protocol and now they're up, up to speed. The beauty about everyone singing from the same hymn sheet is that you can have an F2 yep. say, hold on, that's not right. If, and speak up to a forceful personality, yep. which is very much what we, what, we, what we practice here. Definitely what we have here is a flat hierarchy. Yep. And that's where human factors comes in. Of course, and that, that's, that's another podcast in itself. But yeah, the, the, the ability for team members to know everyone knows what the rules are, 
So if we're deviating from the rules, there has to be a really good reason for that, and people have to be the team has to be bought into that. You can't bully everyone through that because the protocol says this. And it's funny because we, we we run that uh, human f uh, knots course, uh, yeah. which we've run for the last four or five non years now. Non-technical skills non for surgeons. Yeah, and it's quite cool in the theatre. Um, One-way glass, all the stuff going on. It's yeah. actually surprisingly the funny thing is, I've thought you know some of the scenarios have got these the mannequins in. Um, you know that the resuscitation type was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I'm okay, do do. But the thing is, it's remarkably realistic once you're in that in the middle of that scenario. Yeah, it is. So, so once you've got your your, your disbelief suspended, yeah. you're in there, aren't you? Yeah. You're, you're right there. You're in this thing called that they called. Um, someone wrote a paper on it called the simulacrum. It's simulacrum. simulacrum. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's kind of me. Yeah. The thing is, you know, we're living we're living in a simulation anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, that's right. So this we, is we, not we, real. We, we simulate, yeah. Going back to the, the, the evidence, the evidence for each of those little bits, the place where the, all that, the, the thing that changed, you said, well, what's changed? The thing that changed the game was, was war. It was that, it was those conflicts in, in, first in Iraq, then in Afghanistan, in the kind of noughties, like 2001 through to 2000, like, I mean, I think it officially finished in 2014, but, but over that period of time, during the noughties, that is when we learned. That's when the military learned. Military are funny, aren't they? Well, if, like, you go, if you go further back, so, uh, war, yeah. what is it good for? Actually, quite a lot. Actually, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've got a serious issue with Frankie Goes to Hollywood <laughs> yeah. here. Those guys, you know. <laughs> apart, I don't know who they are, but um, apart from all the suffering, yeah. yeah. But no, World War One and Two gave us Thomas Splints, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. There's so That's many right. breakthroughs in major trauma surgery that came yeah. from there. Actually, it was it was the Korean and Vietnam Wars where people started experimenting, giving people whole blood. That was that's over actually where it started. We th we credited to the to the uh, Gulf and Afghanistan. It was actually much much earlier that yeah. people were giving people blood and and saving their lives uh, 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 in, in the battlefield. And there's been a mass, interestingly, quite a big delay in transferring some of that stuff over to the civilian stuff. Yeah. But it, but it's interesting how what leads technology because you know the fact is VHS, internet streaming, all the things you know Netflix, all these things they all because of the because of porn, right? <laughs> <laughs> so porn has led most of the technological breakthroughs when it comes to audiovisual. Okay, yeah, and and, and war <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, and war yeah. has, has has certainly moved on trauma science, un yeah. undoubtedly. Um, Make love, not war. Because uh, you think about the military, and they. Um, the military are a bit like any large government institution. I mean, during peacetime, they're doing like any government, like massive bureaucracy, huge amounts of paperwork. You've got to like fill out a form to change your underpants. Yeah. But as soon as the you know the guns start blazing, boy, those guys can get stuff done. You know, they can cut through the red tape and and innovate and and do good science. That's what came out of the Gulf War was was really clear cut science where they demonstrated that. Basically, the, the message was, guys, you've got to stop filling up patients with seawater um, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 when, when they've lost a load of blood. The yeah. thing they need is blood, not salty water. Yeah. And that was a huge lesson from, from uh, Afghanistan, I would say. It'll be interesting, actually. We should really do a podcast. We're going to do what we are going to do one with Taff, Taff Edwards, yeah. who's our military colleague. And so that it'll be interesting to hear his experiences of um, working in that environment. <laughs> Let's take it back to early interventions. A lot of stuff is now, a lot of the stuff that didn't happen until the patient got into the resus bay has moved to pre-hospital. 
Yeah, it has. And I, I guess that the stuff we're going to talk about for the next 10 minutes or so is actually now all moving pre-hospital. And patients often come in, certainly to the Royal London now, they come in with their binder on, tranexamic has already been given, antibiotics have already been given uh, for their open fracture. Uh, they, pack a is often going through already. They've got a warming blanket on, and the fluids they're receiving is going through a, uh, a level one transfuser, which is uh, warming the fluids as they go in. Uh, and the, two chest drains. A, 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 yeah, well, just for an, for an angle fracture. <laughs> yeah, there's sometimes a little bit of. I mean, you know, in the transfer, sometimes you've got to, you know. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I love orange. I love orange. I, hope not, I just hope they're not listening. Um, but but you, yeah, so a, a lot of the, those early interventions are have moved. So, so the pre-hospital arena is now turning into the ED bay, and that's why it's really important. That's why why it's quite interesting in the trauma science and the orthopedic. Trauma Science MSc, there are a lot of paramedics involved. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a few coming this <clears> evening <throat> as well. Um, we're running the Trauma Lakes this evening, which is we're expecting about 150 medical students and some paramedics who are interested in trauma. And we're going to talk about certain aspects of orthopedic trauma. Um, Homer's joining us as well, Homer Arshad, who's one of our uh, <coughs> colleagues. She is a pelvic acid surgeon as well, does some pretty cool stuff. So it'll be interesting. Transmic acid. Okay, tranexamic, yeah. Does it actually work? Does it actually work? Yeah, it's kind of... Tranexamic is one of those things, it's, 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 it's like unbelievable, isn't it? It's a bit like aspirin. It's like, it's, what, so it's got... Well, it's not like aspirin, because aspirin has side effects. Tranexamic doesn't actually... As long as you give it within the first three hours, it basically doesn't have any side effects. And yet, it has a measurable benefit in... Um, in, uh, in trauma patients, in, in hemodynamically unstable trauma patients. I mean, there's and a remarkable piece of work that Karim Brohi and our colleagues here at uh, uh, BART, uh, QMUL, did. We're, we're involved, yeah, that's right. Uh, the, 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 the Crash 2 trial. Crash 2 trial. And the fact yeah. is, if you've got something that, that's cheap, that has literally no side effects, no contraindications, and you have a significant reduction in mortality and morbidity. Yeah. What's and and, and, and the, the power of this was the number of patients, the number of like, 20,000, 10,000 10, at each arm of like getting it or not getting it. And it was given as a bolus initially and then, a, and then an eight hour infusion after that, which is probably not how you'd give it now, but that's how they gave it at the time. Mm. Um, and uh, you know that the, the number needed to treat in that study uh, was 67. So for every 67 people you treat, you're going to, for, for mortality, one person will survive who otherwise wouldn't have done. Now, there's been a, you know, this was published in the last in 2010, so there's been a huge amount of critique and follow-up studies and sub-analysis of the data that's gone on since then. So uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion points around it. And of course, like any study, there are, you know, there's, there's criticism to be had. They didn't, they didn't really look at what products were given. Um, there was a big variation in the um, trauma centers that were recruiting. So some were very underdeveloped and some were very well-developed. So how would that, you know, how does that equilibrate to a, to a modern, you know, modern trauma uh, center? Um, uh, and, uh, uh, interestingly, although there was a difference in mortality between uh, uh, tranexamic versus placebo, um, there was actually no difference in the unit number of units transfused. So it kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. And the, 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 there are question marks, you know, the things around it. But the thing that gives it the power, the thing that makes the crash do so powerful, is number one, those huge numbers, and number two, the big concern about tranexamic is that it would cause clots. It would cause people to have, and there were no, there was no increase across those twenty thousand patients in thromboembolic events in the 
in the tranexamic acid patients. And, and now we use it for our joint replacements, so do a hip and knee replacement. Right, right. Whenever I'm fixing a pelvis, we're giving that at the, the start. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, same as you guys. Not on the back of any really hard evidence. There's been some articles in JOT like saying maybe there's some benefit, yeah. but uh, I, I think you, you joint replacement guys have, have, have led on that. Moving on to tranexamic acid, they're related to that, because obviously Ross Davenport's now leading the cryoprecipitate study. Cryostat, yes. Cryostat, and they're, they're really recruiting heavily on that. They're doing really well with that, and I think that's going to be a major study when that comes out. Yep. Mass, massive transfusion protocol yep. is something that confuses some people, particularly when the juniors start here at first. This whole pack A, pack B. Yeah. Uh, what is pack A, what is pack B? Why don't just give all pack A, right? Well, it's like if someone gives me an option of 10 minute, it's like when you're something about Mary, you know, eight minute abs. And you go, no, I've got six minute abs. I'll go for the six minutes. <laughs> six minutes. Right. One, of give, one of give one pack. Well, you know. Clearly, I'm, clearly I'm not doing either of those exercises. Yeah. But the fact is, why, why do two? What's I, in them? And, and the, the fact is, if you had, if you had like, everything at your disposal and you, you had life exactly as you wanted it, you would just do all pack A. And pack A will be whole blood taken from like someone who has got who's, who's who's tight match straight into you and it's all good or, or O negative straight into you. Yeah. But so the pack A pack B thing is more about pra you know, uh, practicality rather than absolute ideal. So pack A is in most centres. Now this is changing a little bit in certain places, but in most centres, pack A is uh, pack red cells and FFP. FFP, fresh frozen plasma, is clotting factors. So it's red blood cells and clotting factors. Red blood cells obviously carry blood, or carry oxygen, oxygen around. They're not particularly good at it because they're depleted in their 2,3 DPG. You know what that is, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what the fuck? It rings a bell, it rings a bell. I think year, That's year, the enzyme year that one enables them to take, on, to take up, take on oxygen in the lungs and give it up yeah. and pick up a CSU. I know GDPR, does that help? <laughs> That's the, basically that, that enzyme is kind of like a little bit sleepy, so it takes yeah. a while for that to liven up. And also half the cells are dead anyway because they've been sitting in a bag for the last month and a half. Yeah. But at least it has some oxygen carriage potential. And FFP is, is clotting factors. PAC-A is going in at a time when you have lost a lot of blood by the roadside and you're probably still bleeding a bit. So you are way what you call behind. In other words, we need to catch up with you. We just need yeah. to fill you up with something that's going to enable to you perfuse your oxygen-sensitive tissues. In other words, your brain, your kidneys, and your heart. And everything else can hang for a little bit. Your, your, your limbs can shut down for a bit while, while we fill those bits up. And then slowly, as you fill up, then you, you, you open up again. And so PAC-A is more about getting your blood pressure back uh, and giving you some oxygen carriage potential. You then move into the secondary thing of, we need to turn off the tap. Mm. And that's where pack B comes in, because you're giving a whole blood equivalent, and you're adding in platelets, which, which will get depleted over time, and as you say, cryo, cryoprecipitate. Uh, cryo cryoprecipitate is, um, is uh, fibrinogen. Why don't we just move fibrinogen and platelets into pack A? Answer, because they're frozen. And you've got to, you've got to thaw them out, and you've got to like reconstitute them, and then you can give them. And that's why pack B comes a little bit later, because you've had to thaw these things out. And it gives the lab some time as well. Gives the lab some time, and they and they can be tight specific and all the rest of it. 
moving cryo into into pack A is what the cryostat trial is. So so that that's that's basically what it's, it's like uh, giving it giving cryo up. precipitate stat stat. I just got it. I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what is in, what is cryo precipitate? Yeah. It is fibrinogen. 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 Yeah. Fibrinogen. What the what the why the hell would you want fibrinogen? Answer because you've got your clotting cascade and my arms are up in a Y right now. You can describe yeah. You can see, and I, I've got, my, the what the, the the two arms of the Y the extrinsic and the intrix, intrinsic uh, you know arms of the clotting cascade and they come down to the central part of the Y which is the uh, the common pathway and then right at the bottom right at the very very bottom the last thing to happen is. Fibrinogen fibrin to fibrin. To fibrin. A fibrin is your clot. And that's what the platelets get jammed up in, and then the red blood cells get jammed up in, and there's your clot. How, how do you do? To be honest, I'm just chuffed to remember that last stage. <laughs> I was like, well, forget all the rest. I got fibrinogen to fibrin. That's it. Pack A is about getting, 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 uh, getting the volume back. Pack B is about restoring their clotting. But of course, their clotting may not be perfectly restored at this point because Paquet didn't have platelets or cryo in it. And that's where things like Rotem come in and we can discuss that another time at, at the next podcast. Oh, this is your wine glass versus, uh, versus your uh, puffer fish. Yeah, the, the puffer fish of death. Yeah, love it. Well, you mentioned the puffer fish of death. So that, the one thing we didn't say about tranexamic, just going back to that for a second, is what, what does tranexamic actually do? What does it actually do? Um, because it's not prothrombotic. So... We have it, and, it and it doesn't cause ex excess of clots either. So no, no, what, what it does doesn't it do? cause clots. What it does, so when you stub your toe or, or whack your knee against a bench or something and you go, oh, and it really hurts, you probably generate some blood clots that go into your system. So when you sit down on an airplane for like, like yeah. three hours, when you stand up, you've probably got a few blood clots flying around. Like snapping a banjo string. Right, that's it, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, those blood clots, uh, get immediately picked up by your plasminogen system. You've got a thrombotic system, prothrombotic. You've also got an anti-thrombotic system. Otherwise, we'd be stroking out, having PEs and DVTs all the time, and we wouldn't live beyond the age of four. So, maybe even two. And uh, so, but in the immediate, like, uh, in the immediate recess event, what you don't want is that plasminogen system on. You don't want to make that beautiful clot in your pelvis where you're bleeding to death, and then your body just goes and breaks it down. So what, at what Tranexamic is doing is it's turning off your fibrinolytic pathway. Your, 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 so it's anti-fibrinolytic. It's not yes. prothrombotic. Yeah. It's anti-fibrinolytic. It's stopping you breaking it down. Stops you breaking it down. Which, Which totally does happen. And that's yeah. what the puff of fish of death is. And we could talk about that with Rotem. But we'll come back to Rotem. Tell me about the um, permissive hypertension. Okay. So permissive hypertension is, is not a fashionable term anymore. That I know, was, I know. That's why I brought it up. The, 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 the idea of permissive hypertension is that you don't want to blow off your clot. So much of resus nowadays is about turning off the tap. It's not about restoring your blood pressure so much, as in 120 over 80. It's about keeping your blood pressure at a level where you're perfusing your brain and your heart and your kidneys, but you're not, and your gut, but you're not perfusing your, uh, but you're, you're not blowing the, clot. Uh, blowing the clot off. So um, 
The idea was that you keep their blood pressure at 90, their systolic blood pressure at 90 or above, but not above 100, so like someone's in 90 and 100, but try not to go below, but not below 90, and that would keep all those organs alive, but it wouldn't um, blow your clot off. Which is why we don't want people springing pelvises. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, sense. exactly. You don't want to, exactly. You don't want to be, and you don't want to be moving people around too much. I mean, yeah. in that the scanner is one thing, yeah. um, but actually rolling people and doing manoeuvres and excessive log rolling is totally unnecessary in that immediate thing where all you want, all you want, is for that clot to settle. The um, where was I? Before I rudely interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were talking about Rotem, Puffifidesh, antifibrinolytic. Not blowing your clock, permissive hypertension, permissive, so, so the reason permissive hypertension is not a fashionable term anymore is because you cannot leave, you can't, that's not an indefinite thing. You yeah. can't just leave someone with a systolic of 90. That's not acceptable because what will end up happening is all their peripheries will just get more and more unperfused and they will become increasingly acidotic. Permissive hypotension enables you to get in and out of the scanner. It buys you a bit of time. It allows you to do some stuff progress in your investigations without uh, causing any uh, detriment to your, that immediate early clot that you want yeah. to hold on to. And, but and, ultimately, and, you have to move on from there. You and, have to raise that blood and pressure. And why don't you find a, a, a point where you can then intervene to turn off the tap in some way? So exactly, exactly. That gives you a bit of time, get in and out of the scanner, get up to theatre, get into interventional radiology. Whatever the next exit point from ED is, it enables you to get there. So we're talking more about damage control resuscitation here. We are, we are, yeah. So interestingly, talking about not blowing off the clot, almost as if I planned it, um, binders. Can we just stick with blow, not blow, one last thing on that. Oh, for fuck, yeah, okay. Okay, no, 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 oh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with binders. No, 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 come on. No, 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 Tell me your one thing. Well, the one thing I, ha I, I mentioned earlier, but hasn't really been mentioned a, a lot is, I haven't really bored on about much, is level one transfusers. So that is a thing. A level one transfuser is basically just like a box, and you've got a bag of, you've got a whole load of bags, it's like a bucket, if you like, mm -hmm. above it, and you empty all of your blood products, your, your massive transfusion protocol, into the butter, bu bucket, and you can then infuse that bucket very, very quickly into the patient. Not just very, very quickly, but at exactly the speed that you want to infuse it at. You can put it in at exactly the right rate, which keeps their blood pressure around about 90, 95, okay. but doesn't stick it up to 120, but doesn't allow it to drop to 80, 70, etc. So it can hold that, 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 that for you. And of course, it's warmed fluids, so it allows you to clot. And, it is, it's, it, and, and what it does is it gives you a great deal of confidence, particularly... You know they used to call the CT scan the, do the donut of death? Yeah. Because basically you'd, you'd leave the resus bay where everything was happening and you'd drive out to CT and, by, and, and then the patient would arrest in the CT scanner because everyone kind of like gets bored at that point. I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And what the, what the transfuser does, combined, in associated with all the monitoring that goes with it, etc., the tra transfuser allows you to give that massive transfuser protocol at exactly the right level so that you're holding their blood pressure where you want it. It's not excessively high, but it's not dropping down. And you can up the speed or you can down the speed. 
exactly as you want. Just like your cruise control on your car. Exactly. It just just holds it holds it level. It's not it's not automated to that extent, yeah. but but it gives well, the anaesthetist, the person at the top end, if you like, incredible control or much more control than they used to have when you had like six people squeezing yeah. bags like crazy, yeah. and you know, and suddenly you realise the Venflon fell out a while ago and it's going all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have seen. Um, I've seen that. I've seen someone put um, blood into a pump and then it's got all over the floor. <laughs> you know, like a hose pipe in there, like, like a snake just going everywhere. Uh, and people like these and garden sprinklers. Just like that. that. <laughs> it was literally like that. I've, I've seen that. Um, uh, you want to move on to binders? Uh, not anymore. I don't give a shit about binders. <laughs> the thing about binders is that every time I give a talk about pelvic fractures, all anybody wants to talk about is binders. That All the questions that come out of the audience, every single one, is about binders.